Hello, and welcome to the Palladium Podcast. I'm your host, Wolf Tyvee, the Editor-in-Chief of Palladium. Today, I'm joined by Galen wolf Polly. Did I get that right, Galen? Yeah. Galen is the CEO, is that right, of Urbit? Uh, sorry, you're the CEO of Talon that works on Urbit. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so Urbit is this really interesting project, very interesting technology. I don't think we're going to talk about the technology aspect, but the basic idea is that it enables a kind of semi-decentralized social networking. And it's, in some sense, a platform that attempts to replace a lot of the concepts we use for how how we do the internet uh, down to a very technical level, but also up at the higher kind of uh, social level. And so I wanted to talk to Galen about the future of social media, the future of how we communicate with each other on the internet, the future of what social, uh, what does what does internet connected computing look like in the future, and and how does this affect our society? So so, let's start with that, um, Galen. I'd love to hear how you would introduce. That's, it. I mean, that's all stuff that. <laughs> yeah, you no, that's a good intro. Uh, so I was just gonna, I was gonna let you. I was about to kept being about to jump in. Um, Go for it. <laughs> yeah, I think that, so to give a brief overview or like another, you know, sort of maybe re, restate how to think about Urbit at a, at a like sort of non-technical level um, is that, you know, we have physical computers, like we have laptops that are in right. this lineage of PCs, right? Yeah. So once upon a time, a computer was the size of a, you know, entire computer center, entire room, and people figured out how to get them small enough that we can have them at home and do all kinds of wonderful stuff with them. And then we figured out how to connect all those together, and that's more or less where the internet comes from. Right. So our phones kind of act like PCs in that way. Uh, and But we've never really had the equivalent of a PC. So like a general purpose computer, you could do whatever you want with it. It actually belongs to you. You know, you're driving. Uh, it lives on the network, or that's like native to the network. So everything that we do online relies on somebody else running the server for us. And right. that's just like universally true right like everything that we do requires some intermediary some other service uh, except for some of these sort of nascent things like digital currencies there are a few other things kind of like urbit um right. and then maybe like signal gets closed because you have client side keys and stuff but my interest in urbit comes from basically an interest in building tools i suppose i have an architecture background right. uh and i suppose the you know, I guess the motivation is really like the tools that people have shape the way that the world is. And if we're pretending like, you know, Facebook, Google, Apple services, whatever, are actually tools, we're kidding ourselves because they're not really, not in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, woodworking tools are or, um, you know, even furniture or whatever, you know, basically physical stuff, stuff in the physical world is ours. We can do whatever we want with it. Right. Computers are not that way. Uh, and so that's how, I guess that's kind of like the core driving force behind my interest in this project. I mean, I've been working on it for a while now, but. Right. So when you, when you have a computer, you're just kind of plugging into someone else's reality that exists on their server. And like even, you know, you and I talking right now, we're, our computers, we haven't even connected our computers directly to each other. We're connecting them through this intermediary of, of this podcast software, which is hosted on the server. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and so like, that's wonderful in a sense because we're able to get this done and to communicate with lots of other people and that's sort of generally 
my take on pretty much everything that we rely on. You know, they connect us in incredible ways, but we're not really allowed to imagine how it might be different. And so I guess the core ambition with Urbit is to provide a platform on which the individuals who use these tools can even casually imagine Mm -hmm. how it might be different. And that's sort of the magic of a general purpose computer, right? It's like something Mm -hmm. that you can experiment with without any fear of breaking it and explore the possibilities of how you might, you know, I mean, uh, in the single player use case, right? Like how you might make text and images and uh, basically, you know, shape your data. And network computers are so cool because we, you know, they can connect all of stuff and give us, connect us to other places on other, you know, things that we're geographically distant from and people are geographically distant from. Uh, but how we go about doing that is, yes, totally mediated. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of tend to feel like we're living in this weird, not so much even a simulation. It's like a sort of Truman Show-like mm-hmm. reality. I don't know. I sort of feel like there's like a, the way we'll look back on this, like history will be like, there was the early internet, there was this really weird period that didn't make any sense, and then people got control of their computers again. Um, that just right. almost seems like an inevitability to me. Right. Well, it sort of reminds us of uh, AOL, right? You know, right at the beginning of the so-called eternal September, when everybody was able to get onto the internet, there were all these portals and centralized platforms that that, that mediated the experience in some way, things like AOL. And then for a while, there was just this kind of breaking out of the AOL box. You know, a lot of people had websites, there were all kinds of different platforms, everything was competing, there was there was this this ecosystem. And then it's kind of settled back into the AOL model where there's a few big centralized platforms, we hook into them, you know, we've replaced TV with Netflix, we've replaced watching the news uh, and like being glued to our, our, our like political news with Twitter. Uh, it, but, but it's in some sense, we've just gotten back into this kind of like mediated centralized mode. And, um, and so you're saying that you think there might actually be a different way to go about this that is more natural. That's the basic idea. Yeah. So I would argue actually that most of our, like most of the social media that we use is actually pretty similar to television, uh, right. in that because the sort of fire hose of information is so controlled in terms of the algorithm that generates it for you Mm -hmm. uh, that you are like, there's almost no way that you're not consuming it in this extremely passive sort of doom scrolling way. Um, And that sort of participatory media or like opportunities for people to actually engage with one another are diminishing because pretty much all of the companies that provide avenues for us to communicate um, are incentivized only to keep you there as long as possible. And they're really good at this uh, mm-hmm. because they have a monopoly on the server side. Other people, I feel like, have gotten really good at honing in on what's, what this problem is. I feel like the you know now everybody's seen the social dilemma. Everyone knows that the Center for Humane Technology exists. And I feel like those arguments are compelling and convincing. And it's one of these funny things where I used to think, oh, I really need to go and catalog all the things that's wrong, with the things that are wrong with the system. Um, but that's actually really not my strong suit. <laughs> like I'm okay. interested in building this stuff uh, and just, you know, making something that's, that's, I mean, in a way, just more humane. I'm like, not a, I'm not a critic. I'm more interested in you right. know, like, ma- making something. But if um, we had to, if we had to summarize what's wrong with 
with the current situation or what problem you're trying to solve or you think ought to be solved with this kind of, uh, you know, expansion in our minds of, of how we think, what we think is possible. W- what is the problem that, that we're ultimately solving here? Right. So, well, I guess there are really, there are probably a handful of problems. So first and foremost, uh, when I use, when I rely on a third party service, I also rely on them to give me some guarantees around the longevity of my stuff. Right. Will it last forever? How long will it last? So we want something that actually can last forever. When I rely on some third party to provide something to me, I just have no sense of ownership. And ownership can mean a lot of things. Like I think ownership is not necessarily control. So control would probably be the third one. But ownership just means like I have agency over it, right? I can decide mm-hmm. to delete something. I can decide to keep something. Um, I can, you know, the thing is actually mine. Uh, there's no in the sort of contemporary digital world for the most part, unless you're someone running your own stuff, there's ownership is not a thing. Uh, right. And then there, you should have some degree of control. So, you know, is it that when I group, bring a group of people together, I want to decide, you know, how we share and what we share and when we share it for just to give a super simplistic example. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to decide, you know, let's say I want to write an algorithm that is more complicated than, you know, turn my heat on, turn my heat off for my thermostat. Well, in a Nest world, that's never going to be possible. Uh, but in a general purpose networked computer world, like that should absolutely be possible. So right. control just means you can do whatever you want. Um, right. So those, I guess, are sort of the three primary. I mean, if you just frame it in this kind of design thinking, yeah. uh, that's like, th- those are, would be my sort of complaints. Like as a designer, I'm just like, those are things that I, if I'm going to use something, those, I need a guarantee of uh, durability. I think has to last an incredibly long time. I need a guarantee of ownership. It's got to actually be mine. Um, yeah. And I've got to have some guarantee of control. And without those, I mean, pretty much useless. Well, you're, you're, well it's, it's like you're living in a theme park world or, or you're, you're, Watching yeah, you can't really like commit it's someone else's to space. Yeah, like what I mean, I another way that I have to make this argument, even with just like, I mean, investors or anyone who's like, kind of speculating on the future, even you know, an investor at the level of like, uh, right. just speculation. It's like, look, like, do people really use computers? Like, have we really integrated computers that deeply into our lives? I mean, we don't trust them. Like, how can you really trust these things? And I think that's right. I think that's apparent just in the way that people like the kinds of data that people put into the services that they use it's pretty shallow uh yeah i mean well like one one way that we've we talk about this issue a lot uh internally at palladium we have a lot of brainstorms about you know what is what is the internet doing to society what does it all mean one of the things we've sort of settled on is the internet is for official public communication right now yeah and uh, it didn't used to be for official public communication. It used to be there were lots of these sort of underground spaces, a little bit undiscovered, maybe a little bit hard to find, but you could get there. You could talk to, you could make real connections with with people. It was very authentic, very uh, sort of uncontrolled, but everything has become, you know, through the vehicle of these surveillance technologies like Google and and uh, other things that have just kind of like brought everything up to the f- visible surface. Yeah. Um, it's it's become clear to people, I think, that uh, at least at least to us, that when you're speaking on the Internet as it exists right now, you know, speaking on your Twitter or whatever, it's it's official public communication. It's going in the records. Uh, it's probably never going to be deleted, which doesn't necessarily mean you have an, a guarantee of access, but it does mean that you can't guarantee that it's that it's 
uh, ephemeral either. And so it's it's official public communication. It's for you know making announcements to the public. It's for defining your brand. It's for uh, this this kind of very broadcast mode, and that that's just not that's just not the sum of of how humans interact. It that's a small part right, yeah. of how humans interact. I don't think that's going away though. Right. right. Like I think that that's like uh, that's so when I say that I feel like most of these services are kind of TV like. Um, yeah. That's kind of what I'm referring to. Like. Right. It's broadcast. Yeah, it's basically, you know, you've, you've made it possible for an individual to be a celebrity um, in a way that they couldn't before. And actually, that's kind of like, some interesting things about that. I'm not a, you know, I'm not an absolutist. Like, I think. No, it's definitely better than TV. Yeah. Like, it's <laughs> There's more channels. Right? <laughs> yeah, there's so many channels. <laughs> there are more channels. But the fact that they're only public, um, yes, definitely, like, constrains uh, what, you know, what, what you're seeing in the tone of the conversation. Um, right. so yeah, I think when we were talking about this before I was talking about this, um, you know, I'm going to badly quote, uh, sapiens, which is something that happens in Silicon Valley probably a few times a day. Uh, but there's something in that book about how, you know, something like 10,000 years ago, if you walked, you know, pick a direction, walk 10 miles in that direction, you're going to find another tribe of people that's, you know, less than a hundred people and they speak a completely different language than you. Right. And I remember reading that and thinking like, just that it intuitively makes so much sense. It's like, yeah, we're kind of set up to develop a culture of, or, you know, our communities are just naturally small. And um, it's really strange when you, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not much for public social media. We joke often internally that Public social media is basically, you know, PVP in the gaming sense, right? It's right. like, and, and it would be better if, you know, when you open Twitter, it said like, you know, when you, I feel like in any modern video games, when you like go to a deathmatch, it tells you like the constraints of that deathmatch. Uh, right. I feel like and Twitter- it's, And it's only like, in certain areas. Right. Yeah. It's like you're entering the PVP zone. All bets are, you know, anything is allowable. Do not be nice, you know? Yeah. For, for people relentless. for people who aren't gamers, PvP means player versus player. It's, yes, important. Yeah, where it's a hostile mode. <laughs> exactly. And hostile mode is fun. Like, uh, as I'm actually not much of a gamer, but I, uh, you know, enough people spend time in that mode uh, that it's clearly fun. And Twitter is clearly fun in certain ways. But, it, yeah, it reflects, it has nothing to do with this kind of, like, you know, where is your 100-person tribe with which you share a very specific language? Um, and it, yeah, worries me. Oh, I don't know if it really worries me, but it seems odd that in the digital world, there is no, there's just no means to assemble that group of people and keep it together and develop its language and, you know, uh, basically sort of independently develop ideas. I mean, where does that even happen? Mm -hmm. kind of happens like private slacks or private discords or on telegram or something like that but yeah the kind of the bars and clubs and salons of the internet uh don't exist uh, yeah well yeah, i mean an interesting thing is it seems like they used to like there was this again there was this wild west period of the internet after sort of like total control by aol though that actually yeah. existed in parallel with this but but there's this whole like usenet uh bbs forums kind of tradition of the internet which is where where it's much more like what you were saying like but bars, it's an salons it's, yeah it was accidental but it's it, just but it was total accident like it's it's not it just happens to be the only people who can get on there were the people who like you know had accounts at colleges or were technical enough right. to figure out how to get a connection so you just had you know 
I mean, it, it's, it's actually a little bit different than the, than the physical case that I'm talking about of, you know, a tribe of people, because it's actually a little bit more like one degree of separation. Like the early days of the internet, I don't know, there's probably a thousand people, right? Not everybody knows each other, but they sort of share these common characteristics. And that's a really interesting and cool cultural form uh, right. that, that is new and is not like when there are billions of people on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever, right? Um, and yeah, it's a magical thing, actually, I think. Uh, the question is just, can you give people the tools to, you know, create it on their own? I mean, this is something we think about, obviously, a lot. Mm -hmm. I'm not... So what are the what are the key properties that this new type of computing that you guys are trying to build has to have to be able to solve these problems? I mean, you mentioned these things, uh, you know, ownership over the over the thing, guarantees of of durability and and agency over the thing. So what and and now we're talking about like sort of this ability to construct these forms of social interaction, which aren't quite. Your, your squad group chat with people you already know very closely and aren't quite the public broadcast, you know, Library of Congress kind of, it's there forever, social media, um, but something in between that's more of this kind of exploratory bars and salons kind of mode. Uh, so what, what are the properties that our computing would have to have to be able to, uh, to be able to support that kind of culture as a first class thing? instead of just an accident? That's a good question. And I'm going to uh, kind of ramble a bit to answer it because I think some backgrounds probably needed. So great. Urbit's a piece of software and it was very much developed as kind of almost just like a sketch or a prototype of what it might look like to build, you know, a permanent networked computer. And that is, you know, Urbit itself is totally general purpose. Like you could build, I mean, you could build things that we have definitely not yet imagined on top of this platform. Um, it's just a piece of software runs on top of any Unix machine with an internet connection, which is kind of a fancy way of saying it's just like a layer over existing infrastructure. So, I mean, you could just use Urbit, say, you know, uh, to control IoT devices or something like that. Um, or you could use Urbit to just store your own, you know, use it like Evernote or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Urbit itself as a system, like just as a, you know, the system itself, we think of it as ha as like having to abide by sort of three core properties in a way I was giving you like the inverse of them. So it's right. like urban design to be simple, meaning it has to be easy to use as a user. It has to be extremely easy to understand as a developer, meaning small code fit footprint, you know, yeah. simple and straightforward design. It has to be durable. It has to last an incredibly long time. You don't, you need to not worry about it going away. And it needs to be like designed for, you know, like that you hand it down to your children. Um, mm -hmm. and I actually kind of mean that literally, which I feel like is a very, you know, it's almost like strange to think about, like, could right. I literally hand over, you know, my sort of digital footprint to another family member? You know, right. Whereas the thing. current situation is like you delete everything every few years and maybe you keep some backups in the closet somewhere, but you never really look at them again. I feel like for <laughs> most people, it's just like, maybe my stuff exists, maybe it doesn't. Right. Uh, uh but yeah, I, I sort of, um, would be, I mean, if you think about this, we can take this tangent, maybe like, you know, imagine that you can go and basically replay the Renaissance, right? You can just literally like, it's like every message, you know, all these people have been dead forever. Their event logs have been handed down over generations and the keys are just in the public domain, right? So now we can just replay everything that happened to them. And oh, you, can you mean see, like, like replay it as in, as in take the actual sequence of events and just go back through them in order. Like every message. Happen. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, every, 
you know, every message from between every Medici family member. Like, right. can you imagine? I mean, it's just unbelievable to think about and it would change our concept of like what history is and how people interacted with one another. And I actually think this is like, a, the funny thing is that this is one of these ideas that I remember, especially like when I was in school thinking is like thinking about quite a lot. And then I realized later is something that other people, especially in the world of computers have thought about a lot too. It's sort of like, I'm not the, not one to have invented this, right. but it sort of seems like the dream of the computer, right? Is that it's this like permanent cultural record. You have this just like foundation, you know, forget people writing history and deciding what history is. It's like history just happens and it's passively put into a computer. I think that's actually a pretty wild idea that we um, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, the the services we have now are not designed around. It's not like a cultural value. So we've decided to like make them act this way, but it's totally right. possible with the infrastructure we have. Right. Um, so anyway, it seems like almost like a likely future to me that this is like, this is how things uh, end up being. And we get into, if you want, like the, like, it doesn't mean that everything you've ever done becomes public at some point or whatever. You can certainly delete things. Anyway, Going back to the original point, so system, urban as a system is designed to be simple, it's designed to be durable, to last a long time, and it's designed to be yours. It's designed to belong to you in every possible way. You like actually hold the keys for it. And I mean like you hold cryptographic keys, it is yours. No one, yes. you are not dependent on anyone else. Um, so this as a, I mean, we could potentially, well, so let's not even talk, get into the technology. But so this is as effectively like as a sort of prototype OS, it's like, the question for us and say, you know, I don't know, 2015 or so, was like, well, what do you want to do with this thing? Like, right. what is the problem that this can solve? And the answer was found sort of in the similar line of thinking to the one that we were just on, which is like, well, look, if ultimately you want to build a better technical foundation for how people compute together, store the history of, you know, what we've done and how we've communicated with one another, we want to have be able to build better tools more quickly where we don't have to build an entire company in order to produce them and so on. The mm -hmm. first thing that that platform needs is a community. And it doesn't just need one community. It has to be kind of like a community of communities. There has to be some kind of like archipelago of, of, of people on this network. Right. And that's where, yeah, we arrived at this thinking that's basically like, look, what you want really is to recreate this sort of like BBS era of the internet where you had, it was very, well, at that time it wasn't easy, but our goal is certainly to make it easy for someone to basically, you know, independently set up a server where all of their friends can come together and they kind of have complete uh, ownership and control over how they communicate um, outside of public view, um, which is what Urban is useful for today with the, you know, very specific single application we built on top. So I guess it's sort of like, that's why that's like a preoccupation of mine. Mm -hmm. But I think your question was sort of like, well, how does, you know, the question was like, how does that happen? Or where, like, what is this, was it, how does this happen? Or what does this look like? It's now I've been rambling well, it's, so it's, long that I, It's how, how does it happen? Like what, it, again, what are yeah. the properties, you know, you mentioned these three, three basic properties it has to be simple. It has to be, uh, it has to be durable and it, it has to be yours. But uh, how does that support kind of being able to spin up these cultural spaces and, and more generally the goal of kind of making a better form of so social interaction over the Internet? Like, like let's, lay through, let's go through that yeah. argument. Like how, how does how do those properties or, or maybe those plus some other properties lead to better forms of social interaction? 
Right. So, okay. So look, another way to think about it is just that there is, in my estimation, certainly for me personally, a latent desire for people to be able to communicate in these kind of semi-private or mostly private spaces. And the tools for those things are mostly non-existent because they're not served by the existing both sort of business model and technical architecture of the internet. Right. And so I think the thinking is basically, okay, we want people to be able to build communities because it seems like there's a real, you know, wish for that to, to exist, right? Like people feel this sense of like, I can't talk about, um, you know, what I'm actually thinking about in the public spaces of the internet, where can I go? Uh, and the answer is basically nowhere. And then you can ask another question, which is like, well, where, where would you go? Like, what would it look like technically? And it turns right. out that, yeah, if you want something like that to exist, it's got to look a lot like Urbit. Um, because you need something that people can run independently, like that they can have complete ownership over, that's sufficiently simple to use. Um, and that can, yeah, like, I think the durability thing is super important. It's like, it can't be something that is potentially sort of ephemeral or is going to go away, right? If you're really going to attach yourself to it, if you're going to, you know, spend hours uh, thinking and writing and, um, you know, really engaging with people in earnest, uh, it can't be something that sort of belongs to someone else and might disappear at any time. So right. I don't know, I guess it's just like these things dovetail really nicely. It like fits well with this strange moment in history that we're living in. Um, and both, I mean, just culturally broadly and uh, in terms of like what the digital space of the internet looks like, where it's just, yeah, these kind of like chaotic public squares. Um, so I guess there's just like a natural affinity. Let, let's dig into that ephemerality thing uh, for yeah. a minute, because I think the internet has an interesting relationship to ephemerality. I mean, we, we, on the one hand we have like, you know, anything you've ever said is, is probably on at least some NSA server somewhere. If not, <laughs> it's still, still lurking somewhere in Twitter's database or whatever. On the other hand, we have a lot of link rot, right? So yeah. you can't ever rely on anything disappearing and you can't really rely on things sticking around. Yeah. Um, and, and we have, you know, companies going out of business and all kinds of stuff. So it, there's this weird relationship with ephemerality. And I, I, I want to really dig into what is actually the important thing there uh, yeah. to, to get right. So we've got, because I know like in some cases you do want to make sure this, this is going to stick around. You know, if you're putting data, your information into a wiki or something, something that's intended to be kind of a reference uh, for information, you don't want it to disappear, yeah. and and so there's that. You, you want it, there's some things for which you definitely don't want it to disappear. There's yeah. other things where it doesn't matter because, or or even you actively want it to disappear because yeah. you you don't want it to just be public communication and anything that's sort of lying around in an uncontrolled way for a long enough period of time becomes public and yep. therefore is public communication. Therefore you're, you're talking like a politician, you're talking like a celebrity, you're not talking like a human. Right. Yep. And so this is kind of the spectrum of where in some cases you actually want ephemerality. Like yep. uh, I use signal because signal has disappearing messages. Right. Yep. And, and we, we get the, this ephemerality thing. It's like a nice solid guarantee. And then yep. we have things like, um, you know, back in the the sort of more wild west days of the internet, you had image boards where 
you know, threads fall off the bottom and then they're never heard from again, right? Unless yeah. someone took screen caps. And, yeah. and that, was a, that was a mode of interaction that actually supported a lot of culture. Yeah. And, and you can sort of liken it to a party, right? Like not everything you're investing in and spending a lot of time on has to last forever. You yeah. show up to a party, you hang around with a bunch of people, you have a bunch of good conversations, and then it's all gone. And it's the, the only thing left over is how it's transformed the people that were involved. Yeah. And, and so this is an interesting, I just want to like throw out just more nuance onto this topic and see how you guys handle the, those, those, uh, those details. Like yeah. what, what does, how do we understand like what needs to be done in the context of like that, that spectrum of different kind of ephemeralities that you want and, and why is the current internet like not quite good for that? And, and why would this be better? Well, the blanket answer about why the current internet is not is is just completely insufficient in this regard is that for the most part it's impossible to reason about so mm -hmm. you have no idea really if you are you know whether you're a dissident or not um you know whether your data will be there uh tomorrow um and Right, like you know, like random random people seem to get deleted from YouTube for like apparently no reason. Yeah, or even Gmail. I mean, I always think it's like the, you know, your Gmail is gone. This happens periodically. You don't know why, um, right. and there is no customer support line. I mean, everyone knows that this happens. Like, I just assume that my email, hopefully, will be there tomorrow. You know, I just have no guarantee of it, and I have no agency over whether, you know, it's just it's it's completely it's sort of insane, right? It just is strange. It's like completely disorienting. Um, and that's true. I feel like, I mean, you can just for pretty much everything. I mean, even with like, you know, I think signal is fantastic. I think signal is amazing. Signal is also, you know, uh, mostly closed source. I don't know exactly what's running on their server. So I'm right. pretty sure that <laughs> those messages disappeared, but I'm not totally sure. Um, right. And so I guess that, I tend to think that like real durability is, and I mean like almost like permanent durability is interesting as a starting place. And that's the thing that we, you know, Urbit by default is, you know, very, very durable. Um, uh, and although we could afford for, and I think will afford in future for like some, yeah, lots of gradation there where you can mm -hmm. make things ephemeral, make things last for certain periods of time and so on. But durability and almost like permanent durability is interesting because it's just, there's literally nothing that can do that because technically it's impossible for them to do that because right. you're still saying it's like someone, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm checking into this hotel. I intend to stay forever. And they're like, great. We're so happy to have you stay as long as you like. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, if they go out of business or they decide they don't like, I mean, it's just, there's, it's a right. completely, it's an empty right, promise. Right. It's impossible. Uh, right. There's, a, there's them, a bunch of you know? factors that are outside of your control. Yeah, and I think it's also, you have to, like, I do think it's better to think about this not basically almost like as an activist. It's it's not about, like, you know, people being banned uh, unfairly for their views of a particular kind. I mean, sure, that's, you know, that, that may be unfair. But the broader case is just, I'm an ordinary person. I don't want to have to worry about this. No one wants to have to worry about this. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. Right. Um, well, what, what you said about it being... Uh, impossible to reason about. I think that's a, a really important way to look at this. Like it's this is this is sort of accounts for my dichotomy of of the current internet, where you're never quite sure 
whether it's going to be around tomorrow, but you can never be sure that it's going to be gone either, right? right? Yeah. And and that that's that's a state of uncertainty. You have uncertainty, and you can't bound that uncertainty down to some some minuscule amount. You can't say it's definitely going to be around in ten years. You can't say it's definitely going to be gone in a week. Exactly. And so the ability to reason about it is maybe something that you could actually design for. And and this is, I, I mean, the idea of it being controlled by by you or uh, or like each each sort of piece of computing hardware or, or I don't know the the entity of the computer is is controlled by somebody. It's it's simple and it's designed to be very durable or to be able to support uh, extreme durability. That seems like at least a basis upon which you could build something that's easy to reason about. Right. And and that makes sense to me. Where it's it's like you want to be able to support this this being easy to reason about and then being e- easy to kind of construct the the longevity profile that you actually want. Right. Yeah, so I think about it in terms of, you know, this simple durable yours thing came in part from, we, we like to think about, um, as much as possible, we like to think about Urban almost as if it were a physical thing, right? So, you know, if you have a car from, uh, like we, we always, I like to use the example of the, you know, if you have an original 911, you have a 1968 911, mm-hmm. good for you. You probably, you know, have a fantastic shot, like time taking it out on Sundays, uh, and it's very enjoyable to be in, and you may know nothing about what's inside of it. Right. If you wanted to, it's really not that hard. Like it's, yeah. you can open the back and look at the engine and start to figure it out reasonably easily. Almost yeah. anyone can figure out what it is. So doesn't doesn't even have liquid cooling. <clears throat> exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, and so I think that there are just all these examples in the physical world. Like I think I guess yeah, coming from it from the standpoint of an architect as someone who thinks about kind of like let's look at how human culture has interacted with basically our stuff, our tools over a really long period of time. What are the properties of those tools? The ones that were impactful and you know we continue to use. Well, for the most part, yeah, I mean, the original inventor of the thing is not around when someone else uses it later. Um, And so it doesn't even make sense to say that the thing is going to, yeah, sort of need continued maintenance or rely forever uh, on some third party. It's just, it just, it makes, it's not tenable. It's, it's not going to work. And I yeah, think like the, the things that last become forms that are that replicate culturally, right? right it's exactly. not like there's some specific company that's maintaining, you it's know, just Hammer held in Corp. Trust. It, yeah, it's not like Hammer Corp. It's the, this, yeah. the idea of the hammer and enough ambient technical ability that whoever needs to can can build one of these things or or there's multiple parties who can build this thing and right. then everyone knows how to use it. It becomes this kind of modular, culturally transmitted uh, form of tool. Yeah. And so that's like most of, I tend to think about, you know, both buildings and cities are these machines through which we built governments, built cultures, built book, you know, all those are the containers within which, you know, human thinking happens. Right. Right. For the most part, those containers are things that, yeah, you can tear apart, you can put them back together. The institutions that hold them are pretty reasonably decentralized. (laughs) Like they're actually not that, you know, centralization sort of comes in waves. Um, and so, 
you know, then, yeah, you look at our computer, you look at an Apple II, it's like, that yeah, actually pretty much satisfies in this front. Like we have one in the office, it's kind of amazing. You crack it open, it's incredibly simple. All it right. does is you put a disc in it and run it. Uh, it has this, it feels like it's something that could last forever if the circuits didn't burn out. Um, right. Versus, yeah, like the apps on my phone, I mean, like, does anyone actually think this stuff is going to be around in 30 years? This is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> right. like uh, and so the question is just like, okay, well then what yeah, should it Yeah, it's going to be like? a brick. But we've learned a lot. Like you've learned a ton just by using these things for whatever, 10 or 20 years. You've learned that like, yeah, being able to talk to somebody on the other side of the globe is really valuable. Being able to write something from anywhere and have it stick around, that's really cool. Okay, but we need that to exist in a foundation that makes sense. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. the stuff is, well, otherwise all kinds of bad things, basically. Well, also <laughs> I, a foundation a foundation that isn't actively relying on this huge soup of anonymous third parties. Like, like you mentioned the apps on your phone, right? Like how many, for your phone to work, how many other people need right. to be actively doing work right now? Not just like, oh, they did their work, but they need to be actively still doing work yeah. to make your phone work. So, it's so an absurd like, number of people. And a lot of those people, they go out of business and then that thing doesn't work anymore. So that doesn't, that's generally like, there's some degree of that that's okay and totally understandable, right? It's like in right. order for me to, I don't know, you know, get power to my house or um, in order for like the Roman forum to open up in the morning and people to show up, it's like, yeah, we depend on other institutions. That's fine. But mm-hmm. there's some degree to which when it comes to like, you know, like uh, my stuff, basically, um, I want that to be something that I can potentially, you know, throw in my backpack and, and, and walk off uh, to some other, you know, you know, head somewhere else, basically, right? Like, right. you want to be able to potentially break those dependencies or switch between them. So urban is not like, you know, doesn't envision a future where everybody's totally on their own. Like we, right. for example, like we offer Urban hosting, right? Like part of the funny thing about Urban is like, you need someone to run this thing for you. And we expect, yes, right. someone runs it for you. And, but that's a much more explicit relationship, right? It's like, it's yeah. like well, you pay it's, a landlord, you can leave if you like. It's like you've low cost. Right. Well, it's I, like you guys have designed the system as far as I know. It's, it's portable in the sense that it, the person providing you that hosting service is not the person providing you sort of the full stack kind of right. monopolized vertically integrated system. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's, you could, you in principle, it's just a server, right? Yeah. Anyone can run it on any computer basically that it'll run on. And uh, it's just, you generally want to pay someone else because it's kind of a pain, but they don't actually get that much power over you uh, yeah. by doing that. Like you, they can kick you off their platform, but you still have your thing and you can just move it over somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, one example I've been giving lately is sort of like, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, apparently, last I heard, Facebook was destroying our democracy. Okay, well, (laughs) imagine that you can just download your Facebook data to, like, you just download a node, it's just a file, and you can build a new interface for it, or you can host it somewhere else. And, like, if basically, if Facebook Facebook starts screwing its users, like, its users just leave, and they decide they can change the software as they see fit. Well, the key Um, thing is being able to leave incrementally, right? Because if, like, you can sort of download your Facebook data right now, but it's just some big pile of data. (laughs) It's it's not useful, because you can't get anything that would run it. Yeah, you're not downloading the actual application. You're just downloading this ridiculous dot zip. <laughs> right. Everyone should download their Facebook data just to see what a fuck you it is. <laughs> like it's like I mean it's not complete like they're they're trying kind of I actually think most of these services are they're doing their best. Like they are they're no, they, or they think they're doing as the best that they can. Yeah. Uh, but you download that thing and it's just like this is yeah. like what do I do with this? <laughs> I can't do anything with it. 
I want to dig back a little bit into this question of which things are portable in the sense that there are so ours that we can just kind of put them into a backpack and go somewhere else. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't rely on any third parties versus kind of being embedded in a social graph and being embedded in a social network versus yeah. maybe we can distinguish this from, from being embedded in a very particular institution. So there's, there's like the ideal, I think, for computing, if we can imagine it, is, is like certainly much of it is just kind of backpackable, right? Yeah. You, you can yeah. download your data, you put it in your backpack, you take it somewhere else and you can set the thing up you know, you, you've moved to a new house and you can set up your furniture, you can set up your books, whatever. They're all yours. You're not relying on anyone for that. Yeah. And, and that's sort of one kind of ideal. Another is, you know, like you said, we actually live in a society. We do rely on other people a lot of the times for services, for, uh, you know, the various things that are available to us. Now, the ideal, I guess, there is that those services are basically commodities, they're, they're like electricity, you know, I can just go to whatever electricity company. If that electricity company isn't working, maybe there's another one. Maybe I can move somewhere else where there's a different electricity company. Um, maybe I can get a solar panel and make my own electricity. And then, so that's that's kind of like your commodity stuff. Or, or, you know, I rely on there being roads. I rely on there being like a grocery store near me. These are sort of the commodity social services. And then the non-commodity social services are things like I'm embedded in a particular institution and my entire sort of mode of life depends heavily on that particular institution. Yeah. And this is kind of where we're at with computing right now yeah. is like if you're using an iPhone, you're digital life depends very heavily on on um good old apple on, yeah on on how good apple is going to going to be yeah. and and like especially with things like you know steve jobs died how good was the succession yeah we don't know we don't know yet i mean like maybe it's been all right it's been all right for sure like apple hasn't imploded but is is apple still going to be the same in 10 years you yeah. don't you have no guarantee and you have no it's it's a quite high switching cost. Yeah. And and so in that way it's like it's like governments, right? Like yeah. a government or a nation or a culture is something where you, it's a non-commodity embedding. You're embedded in this very holistic kind of yeah. mode of existence that's that's outside of your control. And an interesting thing about software is it's very much currently like that government mode where yeah. suddenly we have all these new kind of feudal overlords that you know even if they're not abusing us, we're vulnerable to to whatever they're vulnerable to. If something goes wrong with Apple, suddenly like I have to rethink my digital life. If something yeah. goes wrong with Google and Gmail crashes, I have to rethink my digital life. Yeah. Right. And, like, um, and and so this is I, this is sort of how I'm thinking about it. Is that we want to yeah. move things more towards like commodity or just outright yours? So I think that there's. Um in the physical world, there's generally a gradient, right? So it's like, um, I have total agency over, I mean, you know, uh, for the most part, like what goes on within my house, my house is generally like, you know, only involves me and my family. 
right. my, you know, once I'm on my front porch and out and about in the neighborhood, I have the community of my neighborhood and the individual communities I engage with there, which may be where I work, where I shop and so on. Right. And then I, yeah, in my house, I also have these commodity like relationships with the power company, the cable company and so on. Uh, those are reasonably powerful institutions, right? It's like, I think, you know, Comcast is the only cable that I can get. And so if right. Comcast implodes or decides they don't like me or whatever, then that's a big problem. Uh, similarly, yeah, like I live in San Francisco, I'm subject to the, you know, the uh, Matryoshka or whatever, the, the Russian dolls of the governments that um, have, have some agency over me uh, because I live in a particular place. Right. And those are relatively totalizing, right? They're like they are uh, in terms of like, I don't have a lot of agency there. I mean, sure, like I can vote, whatever, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty... Um, like living in San Francisco is similar to uh, being, you know, using using Facebook. But right. the difference being, of course, that like when I live in San Francisco, I'm not like required to use one power company. I can only get a certain kind of house, uh, and 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 so on and so forth. Like San Francisco is not full stack solution to my whole life. Um, and so yeah, that's like I think the, it's really funny. I, I think to imagine, you know, if you imagine, okay, what is it? What would be the physical equivalence of the digital world that we live in? It's like vague. I think it's like Vegas, except you can't leave. You know, you're just right. like you live in a hotel. You all you get to do is gamble, and like you, yeah, you cannot go outside. Um, so, urban gen in a in a broader sense actually does have somewhat of a gradient of these things. It's like you're in charge of the software that you run. Yeah. Uh, we expect that, you know, we're one of the primary developers of software that ships to Urbit. And so you can think of, you know, today when you use Landscape or like interface for it, it's sort of like you're getting that from your local service provider, uh, which happens to be a relatively small operation. Like you can actually come and talk to us. Uh, it's sort of like joining a neighborhood. But you and your friends could also write software for Urbit. You can build your own little commune um, and have more of a sort of like Burning Man-like experience uh, mm -hmm. where you know you guys have all pulled your trucks up and built yurts or whatever and, and you've decided to share certain services and certain services are your own. So I think, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a vague answer, but I guess the general way we think about it is that you want people to be able to create that same gradient, right? It's like someone may host your Urbit, they have a lot of agency over you, but they don't tell you what software to run. The software right. that you run could come, should come from institutions that you actually know you have some human relationship with, um, you trust them to some degree, but you hopefully have some degree, you know, well, not hopefully, like, you, yeah, you can always exit, you can always stop using that software, you can always do something else. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, that gradient is really important. Like, it's just, it's historically embedded in us like I, I have a hard time seeing how I think that's another one of my like you know will the monopoly like current digital monopolies we have you know fall in the next five to ten years or the next 30 years I don't know right. uh, I actually would I, I tend to think that we are at a very much at a local maximum and this is not long for this world but um, it I, I can you know I think it's a very safe long bet to say this just isn't going to continue because it's right. so fucking unusual. It's just so against human intuition. This is like nothing to do with what normal human institutions look like. So yeah. Thanks for listening. We've now reached the end of the first half of the podcast. The second half is available on our Patreon. You can sign up at palladiummag.com slash subscribe. It usually gets better in the second half, so you don't want to miss it. This project wouldn't be viable without your support, so we hope to see you soon.